0: Right, we're reading then from 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honour, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And God will bless to us the reading of his own precious word. Now, the opening words of chapter 4 really introduce us to the second main division of this first epistle to the Thessalonians, where, of course, the note is distinctly practical and also exhortative. I should point out that there is a definite link with the prayer of Paul in the closing verses of chapter 3. It was, of course, Paul's desire that the hearts of these Thessalonian believers might be established unblameable in holiness and also that they might increase and abound in love one toward another. And so teaching to this end is now brought before them even though it was far from new to them, So we have that link with the closing verses of chapter 3. Now as we have seen there are these two main sections in the chapter verses 1 to 12 which are taken up with the path of righteousness or if you like the path of the righteous and then the remaining verses verses 13 through to 18 dealing with the prospect of the rapture. Now let's focus attention first of all on the first 12 verses because in verses 1 and 2 we could write over those words walking and pleasing God and so we have that expression in the opening verse I've just lifted those words from verse 1 how ye ought to walk and to please God so we have walking and pleasing God Then in the next subsection, from verse 3 down to verse 8, the emphasis now turns to practical sanctification. And these verses are really concerned with physical relationships. Practical sanctification dealing with physical relationships. So we have that bold statement, this is the will of God, even your sanctification that of course is verse 3 then in verses 9 and 10 we have love of the brethren and if those earlier verses are concerned with physical relationships I take it that these two verses are now taken up with spiritual relationships so Paul says in verse 9, ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So there we have in verses 9 and 10, the love of the brethren introducing spiritual relationships. Then in verses 11 and 12, we have what we might term godly ambition. And if in those earlier verses we have been thinking of physical relationships, And then of spiritual relationships, I take it that when we come to these two verses, verses 11 and 12, it's more the idea of secular relationships. So Paul says in verse 11, and that ye study. Now we'll have to look carefully at that word, it really means make it your aim, make it your ambition. So we should have such ambitions as are set out in verse 11 secular relationships godly ambition which embraces not only verse 11 but also verse 12 let me elaborate now on some of those sections first of all then verses 1 and 2 walking and pleasing God I take it that verse 1 is stressing our walk before God how ye ought to walk and to please men. If you go down to verse 12, you'll see that there the emphasis becomes upon our walk before men, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. But let's come back to that statement, how ye ought to walk and to please God. It's often been pointed out that this is really the true Enoch character. Remember that the Old Testament commentary upon his life is that Enoch walked with God, Genesis chapter 5, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. But when we come over into the New Testament, into that great chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, we are told that before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So Enoch was one whose life before God was walked before God and he pleased God. But if in verse 1 the emphasis is upon our walk before God, when we come to verse 2, quite clearly we have the charge. Because Paul speaks of what commandments plural we gave you by the Lord Jesus if you take your eye down to verse 11 we have the statement as we commanded you so we have in verse 2 the charge now we come to verses 3 to 8 this section that deals with sanctification the will of God says Paul, even your sanctification. I want to stress that this is practical sanctification. You can compare it with verse 7 where we are reminded of the call of God and the call of God is unto sanctification, it is unto holiness. But here in verse 3 we have the negative side of things abstain from fornication. May I just pause for a moment? It's good to see such a great company of young people here this afternoon. And I want to just say this, that in this day in which we find ourselves, when there is so much loose living, nothing, my young fellow believer, nothing will mark you out more clearly than your purity abstain from fornication but then we have the positive side of things know verse 4 how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honour I believe that that is the vessel of oneself one's own body we'll, we'll elaborate on that a little later but then if in verses 3 to 5 Paul deals with fornication I judge that when we come to verse 6 Paul goes further and in what we might say a delicate way he warns against adultery where the rights of a brother are infringed because we have this statement that no man go beyond and defraud his brother not so much in any matter but in the matter the matter that he's been considering in those preceding verses. So if verses 3 to 5 deal with fornication, and I think it's used there in its stricter sense, then verse 6 definitely deals with adultery. Now we come to verses 9 and 10, where we have brotherly love. If in verse 6 we have the negative aspect, namely that our brother is not to be wronged, when we come to verse 9, we have the positive side of things, namely our brethren are to be loved. As touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. Now I don't want to dismiss that just very quickly, but nevertheless we shall explore that, I trust, during the course of our reading. Then when we come to verses 11 and 12, I've suggested that we can call that godly ambition. You'll notice in verse 11, Paul encourages us to the pursuit of three things. Number one, we should make it our aim to be quiet. We should be ambitious to be quiet or still. Now that on the surface appears to be somewhat of a paradox. But that's point number one. Point number two is that we should do our own business. I suppose we should add that we shouldn't be busybodies in other men's matters. We should do our own business. We should attend to our own affairs and then thirdly we are, to, we are to work with our own hands so reviewing those verses if we go back to verse 4 we learn that we are to have bodies that are pure then in verses 9 and 10 we are to have hearts that are loving and in verse 11 minds that are peaceful minds that are tranquil And then again in verse 11, hands that are busy. Now we come to verses 13 to 18, where we have the prospect of the rapture. Now perhaps our minds are going to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. Well of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is concerned really with the subject of resurrection. And so... If we look carefully at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the, the saints are really left upon the earth. You understand that because it's just dealing with resurrection. When we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the saints are seen in the air. But if we go over to John chapter 14, we find, of course, the saints are in the Father's house. So there's three ways of looking at it. But there's no plainer statement as to the Lord's coming than that which is found in these verses and of course it should be a great comfort it should be a great encouragement to the believers we have that do we not in our closing verse wherefore comfort or encourage one another with these words now what is the background here well some of the company of believers at Thessalonica had died And the remainder were wondering what would happen to such at his coming. We must appreciate that the Thessalonian saints were indeed waiting for him. We have that statement in the opening chapter and verse 10 to wait for his son from heaven. This was indeed their patience of hope. We have that statement of course in verse 3 of our opening chapter. But these Thessalonian believers had never taken into account that he might, I'm going to use the word tarry. Well, I use that word guardedly, particularly in view of the verse that we had before us yesterday evening, uh, that... A little, a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. But, but I think you understand what I mean. They hadn't, they'd never taken into account that he might tarry according to the will of God. And so they lacked instruction as to all this, having enjoyed the teaching of the apostle for a relatively short time. And no epistle having yet been written by the Apostle Paul. I'm sure we recognize that this, of course, is the first in order of Paul's epistles to be recorded in Holy Writ. But Paul would have the saints no longer ignorant concerning those that have fallen asleep. So I trust we appreciate that the revelation that is given here, because it says by the word of the Lord, the revelation that we have here is not so much the fact of the Lord's coming, but rather concerning the relationship of the dead in Christ to it. We have the statement, of course, in verse 13, concerning them which are asleep or fallen asleep. Now, I'm sure that most of us can quote verses 13 to to 18 verbatim. And if if you cannot, then I suggest you do learn to quote those words verbatim. So I'm not going to go into a tremendous amount of detail, but in verse 13 we really have the problem stated concerning them which are asleep. And then in verse 14, in one sense, we have that problem solved. Them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, I don't know whether brethren are allowed to change their minds. I have changed my mind on this particular scripture. Some of you may realise that I do make an attempt to answer some questions for Believer's Magazine. And the very first question that I attempted to answer was on this particular verse. And the trouble is that it's now indelibly printed in a past Believer's Magazine and I don't agree with it. (laughs) These are the problems that arise when you start writing things down. You see, I used to believe that the reference was to the fact that those which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, God will bring with Christ when he comes in power and in great glory. But I do believe now that in the context, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I believe he will bring them out I think that's the context. It's dealing with resurrection and it's not looking forward at this particular stage to the coming of Christ in glory. So, if I've headed that verse, the problem solved, I trust that in my case the problem has now been solved. Verse 14 and then of course we have in verses 15 to 18 15 to 17 we have the particulars uh, revealed to us and I won't elaborate on those now but then finally in verse 18 we have the peace experience because Paul says comfort one another with these words I do trust that as a result of these meetings this weekend particularly this particular reading we might derive some comfort and encouragement from our consideration of these scriptures these are serious verses and they are a challenge I trust to all of us so we're looking at the opening verse then our walk before God furthermore uh, for for the rest uh, you'll notice that that sometimes Paul does use this word which is translated finally (laughs) and it doesn't mean to say he's coming to the end of what he has to write so when brethren are ministering the word and they say finally it doesn't mean to say they're coming to the end of their message it's just that they're moving on to some other topic so uh, we've already observed that there is this link with the previous chapter so you'll notice there are two issues here Paul beseeches them and then he exhorts them by or in the Lord Jesus and evidently some of the teaching that he's going to give in the earlier part of this chapter he had already given when he was with them and he not only had given them this teaching but they had received the teaching have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God but you'll notice the word ought it's it's not some option it is an obligation and of course when we refer to warp we're talking about our everyday living and Paul's own example has been set before them and that is made clear in the earlier chapters of this particular epistle but he exhorts them to be abundantly furnished he exhorts them to exceed more and more so whatever stage we've reached along this line continual progress is required so I'll I'll link that if I may with verse 2 and then we'll open it for discussion I've said that uh, verse 2 is really matched by verse 11 for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus and so what Paul is saying that his written teaching was actually consistent with his oral teaching that he had given to them whilst he was there in Thessalonica.
1: Now, brethren, can we come in on verses 1 and 2? You did draw attention to the preposition in verse 1. We exhort you really in, in the Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. or authorises by. In verse 2, again, our authorizes by the Lord Jesus, but there it is through the Lord Jesus. So could we suggest that possibly in verse 1, he's speaking of the fact that the believers and Paul himself, they are in the Lord Jesus in that they are subject to his lordship. here are people who are subject to his lordship and if they're subject to his lordship this is how they'll behave Mm -hmm. but then the commandment that he gives in verse 2 is through the Lord Jesus with all the authority of Christ behind him he he gives them that charge yeah indeed yes that's very helpful
2: (coughs) if I may say a word ask a question to David the elder you've linked this chapter with the end of chapter 3 Would it be permissible to go back another verse or two to the verse that reads like this, that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith? Would you think that the subjects that form our Bible reading today are subjects that show deficiencies in their faith?
0: Uh, yes, um, I, I think we shall come across uh, as we proceed through the, the, these chapters the fact that their, their love and their faith are commended. But he's not able, I think, to commend their hope. They seem to have lost their hope. But uh, obviously, not only was it, there, was it necessary that their love should abound and increase more and more, but this would also be true of their faith. Now, I think we, we're, we're all clear in our minds that in relation to salvation, it's not a question of degree of faith. It is either faith or no faith. But then, as believers, there are degrees of faith. O ye of little faith, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So there is always room, uh, Brother Jim, for the increase in faith.
2: Also, there are three paragraphs that follow chapter 3. And in the world around, they're sinning. You are marked by sanctification. In the second paragraph, in the world around, they're sorrowing. You are marked by something different, or you should be. Yeah. And then in the last paragraph, uh, you're surrounded by a sleeping world, yeah. and you should be awake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their faith would have made them that if they'd accepted it in all its authority. Yeah. That's
1: very helpful. Yes, thank you. You mentioned, David, the fact that at the start there's the idea of Enoch. He walked with God, you know, uh, and he had this testimony that he pleased God. Mm. Now, the Enoch thing goes right through the chapter, Mm -hmm. because when you come to the end of the chapter, he's speaking about rapture. And I suppose the prototype of raptured saints would be Enoch. The Bible speaks about his translation. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So uh, the, the biography of Enoch seems to permeate the whole chapter. That's very good, yes. Where is he not now?
3: Mr. West. <coughs> um, brother, Mr. Hay was, was drawing our attention to the two references at the beginning of the chapter to the Lord Jesus. Uh, we have also got pleasing God. Uh, we've got the will of God. Uh, we've got the Gentiles who knew not God. And then at the end of the section, we have God who gave to us the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful, isn't it, to notice that our holiness, which might seem like a very everyday sort of thing, is of interest to the three persons of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. That's very useful. Yes, thank you.
0: You didn't answer my
4: question.
1: Where is he not now? Then? Well, I would judge that he's in the presence of God. Yes. Is that good enough? Not really, no. no. Okay. Uh, okay, you tell us where he is. <laughs> well I, I think I think
0: he must be in paradise I think he must be in heaven you see uh, likewise of course uh, Elijah mm-hmm. uh, and I mean I don't think he uh, I don't think he became disembodied no. do you see what I mean uh, it's just that we do rejoice do we not and we say that there is a man in the glory there is a man we're thinking of the Lord Jesus but I can't get round the fact that I seem to believe that Enoch and Elijah are there as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Anyway, well,
0: that's that, that is a bit of a divergence, but uh, it's just get, to get the saints
1: thinking. I think that equates with what I said, though I said he's in the presence of yeah, God. So yes, would, is that, would that be paradise? <laughs> yes, that's Good. That's that's also okay. The other
5: thing too is, isn't it, uh, the Lord Jesus is unique and yes. that he's a resurrected man in Amen. the glory, Amen. which they aren't. Amen. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right, I do want to move on because we've had our uh, eight and a bit minutes on those two verses. Uh, If we can move on to this section dealing with practical sanctification. So, this is, and there's no definite article I understand before the word will, so this is will of God. So th- th- this is really his, his gracious resolve. It's, it's not, not his determined resolve, his gracious design. And so what Paul deals with is the reference to the practical, moral life of the believer. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now, I'm sure we appreciate that. There is what we term positional sanctification. In other words, we have been once and for all sanctified. That took place at the moment we were converted. We are now speaking about practical sanctification, our everyday living. I think we should also mention about um, sanctification by association you see uh, Paul says uh, <clears throat> every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with, with, with prayer and thanksgiving so, so it's sanctified by association, it's sanctified by the word of God because the word of God sanctions it and then again we might refer say to the unbelieving husband sanctified by the unbelieving by the believing wife and vice versa and that is because of association so we need to distinguish among those three concepts of, of, of sanctification positionally sanctification practically and sanctification by association and uh, our good brother wants to come in and we'll
6: the practical sanctification here is expanded by the use of the three that's yes. verse number 3 that you should abstain from fornication Verse 4, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. First 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. And verse 6, that no man go beyond yeah. and defraud his brother. And you've been pointing out the negatives and the positives. So the first of these, that ye should abstain from fornication, is negative in relation to self. The second one, that everyone should know how to possess his vessel and sanctification and honor, is positive yeah. in reference to himself and then you come to the negative again in regard to his brother, no man go beyond and defraud his brother.
0: Yes, I mean, I, I did make a, a statement that uh, I, I did feel that in this particular verse, for, fornication is to be understood in its strictest sense. I mean, are we, we, we realise that, that sometimes when we read the word fornication, it, it does embrace all kinds of illicit intercourse. But, but I think here because he goes on to deal with what I believe to be adultery then, then he's dealing with fornication in its stricter sense
5: what do you feel about it then? I would have taken it in the widest possible sense to be honest yeah. right. that's alright, you've yeah. got to be honest
1: yeah. and yet you do feel that when you come to the next stage he's speaking about adultery yes. you know defrauding your brother in the matter in the sense of coveting your neighbour's wife yes, yes yeah.
0: But I do feel that we, we, we really must sound the note of warning in this present day and, and the exhortation is to flee fornication. There are some things that we can face up to. Uh, in other words, uh, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But there are certain things that we must run away from. And younger believers, this is one. And I think we have the perfect example in Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 you see to the Gentiles uh, whilst the wickedness of, of adultery and perhaps incest uh, was fully recognised it was really a novelty to be told that fornication was a deadly sin so that's another reason why I feel in this sense it's used more in a more restrictive way and David was
7: wanting to come in. No, just, i was just going to say, if, if the apostle was in Corinth when he wrote this, he, he had plenty of reminders, yes, yes. just of the evils of it. Yeah. Of the word abstain,
2: how would you translate the word and, to, and to, uh, translate it into our experience?
0: Well, we, we we are to to hold oneself aloof from. I think that word has been uh, been defined. So we're we're to keep ourselves away from that situation. Mm-hmm. Would you like to elaborate?
2: We, st- we stand away from it as far as we possibly can. Yes, yes. Sir. The finger's there. The button's there.
8: Yes. Press it, yes. or not. Yeah, that's very
1: good. Yeah. The, the word is used in Chapter Five again, when we're told to abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, I judge, in the context of Chapter Five, he's speaking more about doctrinal evil rather than yeah. than practical moral evil, as we have it here. Here, we have to abstain from moral evil, but in Chapter Five, you've got to you've got to give, you know, you put. Good, clear, blue water between yourself and doctrinal evil as well.
9: Abstain from all appearance of evil.
1: So Paul is
0: not... uh, Oh, sorry, Walt.
9: The seriousness of what Paul is teaching here is brought before us in the three realms in which any believer lives. Firstly, this impurity is dishonouring to self. And then it's defrauding your brother then a verse 8 is despising God. He's wrapping the three together in those spheres.
0: Yes, that's very helpful. Very helpful, yes. Well we'll, well, we'll see this as we progress through the verses. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honour. Now, now, we do appreciate that when we come to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3... Uh, the wife is spoken of as the weaker vessel but I do not believe that this is the case here I think it's the vessel of his own self and, and uh, so Paul is not satisfied with what we termed the negative duty of abstinence but here we really have the positive side of things every one of you so none is excluded and uh, it's really the vessel of himself it's, it's one's own body and, and this body of ours is an instrument or an implement for doing something rather than containing something. And that, the thought expressed here is that of knowing how to gain possession of such an instrument as the body with all of its many faculties and using it wisely for its proper uses and you'll notice also that we not only have the word sanctification but we also have the word honour mm-hmm. and, and the thought is that of, <coughs> of value remember that, that our bodies will ultimately come into the good of God's salvation our salvation mm-hmm. will be complete the body of the believer is very very precious to God and, and this must be borne in mind
1: I don't want to be disruptive David but I would tend to take the other view on it uh, and see that this is possibly a wife that's being referred to you. You did draw attention to the fact that the wife in 1 Peter is described as the weaker vessel Uh, the word honour is linked with the teaching there as well Mm -hmm. as it is here so the wife has to be honoured according to Peter's teaching and I thought that here it was the same and if you allow the revised version that he may know how to possess his own, his own vessel. Now, if it's a reference to the body, who, who else's body could you possess but your own? And so I would have thought that it was the wife that was being referred to here, giving honour to the wife possessing his own. It's akin to First Corinthians, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And I cannot think of anywhere in Scripture... Where the term vessel is used to describe a body, you know, a person. Yes, you know, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's not really a reference to the body, but to the the person. Now, I've had my say, and you can come back on it, and I won't come back on it. No, no,
10: no,
0: that's (laughs) all right. It would be
1: interesting to hear what other brethren feel on this.
10: I was wondering if Mr. Hayes' explanation would be backed up by the way you translate that word, possess. And is it not the idea of obtaining or gaining which seems to support the idea that the vessel might be the wife rather than his own body?
11: I go along
5: with you, brother uh, David. Um, oh, it's nice. Every one of you it must refer to male and female. It must refer to married and unmarried, uh, so that there's no exception. It can't be something I believe that just refers to married men. It must include every one of the believers.
3: And would it not also be the case that the, the reference in Peter, if the wife is the weaker vessel, then the husband, by implication, must be the stronger vessel, which might perhaps be an argument for the body view?
8: Right, well, we're gaining. Uh, is it right to say, that the scripture wouldn't teach that a man's wife is his property? I think in, in English law many years ago, a wife was considered to be a chattel. But that would not be the teaching of Scripture. No, no,
0: no. No. Thank you. So, you're agreeing that it's his own body. Yeah, thank you. That's good. we
12: yeah. oh, yeah. doing well here. Excuse my poor English. I just... Uh, I understand here, he's, he's saying like... Uh, to know how to take wife in sanctification and honor. Not like the Gentiles. So, uh, I mean, I understand not to be led by our passions but uh, see first that woman if she is godly and and, and, and something like that like Isaac for example take, uh, take his wife in, in this way like through the parents also you know if, if a man for example I, I've been in uh, I've been saved recently but I live in a family where if a man is interested in a girl he will ask his parents and they'll go and ask her parents and we'll go through the parents or through the elders and they'll find out if she's interested and uh, it's kind of in a pure way these things to happen how to take wife not like today you, you a man like a woman and he goes straight to her and ask her let's go out and things like that this is not biblical example this is more like the world and uh, what I understand, sanctification and honor is like to, to go like that through parents, through elders, and then you have the, the blessing of the parents, the blessing of the, the, the assembly. You have the blessing of God. Here, it's not like you go straight, and, and it's not it's not really pure way. And that's that's. No,
0: I, I appreciate appreciate your thoughts. Perhaps we should uh, some of the young people here. I don't know whether you go about that sort of approach to things, but. um there's a lot to be said for it could, could, we, could we come then please to verse 5 I think is fairly clear although perhaps the words that are given in our good authorised text uh, may be slightly changed because um, the word that is translated lust uh, really means passion and the word concupiscence is actually lust so we could read it not the passion of lust even as the Gentiles which know not God we we shall be coming across that that expression uh, those that know not God when we develop these uh, Bible readings over the course of this weekend could we come to verse 6 sorry.
7: I you leave that Brother David you've already alluded to this we talk about pagan society, and pagan society was a way back in ancient times mm. <clears throat> i don 't think we have to look to ancient times to see pagan society no, no. No. and is the root of it all not which know not god yeah. i 'm thinking of Romans one ah, yes. just going to T- right. turn away from God then they, they lose self respect and yeah, all no, it. Right. and like we are living we are living in a society that 's post christian and even post-Judaism, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, certainly those verses. Uh, I mean, we only need to go back to Romans chapter one. I mean, there was a time. I, th- I think uh, older saints, even those who are older than myself, uh, will remember the days when the brethren would refrain from reading publicly. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32. But now I believe there's a great need for those verses to be read publicly and and for brethren to really take their stand. We do not know who are outside the door and it may be that we make bold statements in relation to the things that are brought out in those verses. And I think we do need to make our stand that we could be accused of homophobia and and we do not know what the outcome might be. Yes, thank you very much for drawing our attention to that. Verse 6 then, no man go beyond. So we've already been trying to develop this, this idea <clears throat> that um, Paul is now warning against adultery. Now, the big question is, is our brother is that is that literally to be taken as a fellow believer or some would suggest let me put it like that that there is good reason for suggesting that brother should be seen in its wider sense in other words the brotherhood of men the brotherhood of mankind in other words whether it's adultery against a brother in Christ or whether it's adultery in a wider sense but of course if it's defrauding the brother then it would seem to be a brother in Christ <clears throat> and also I would remind you of the bold statement in Hebrews chapter 13 that marriage is honourable in all, and the bed undefiled, and the, the, the literal rendering is, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So we need to bear that in mind, and I think that is a forewarning, and it is also the testimony of scripture.
1: I would think that it's the brother in the assembly that's being referred to here because as believers, we are thrown together as a society and we interact with each other in assembly life and there would always be the danger that someone of the opposite sex could attract our interest and we could defraud our brother in the matter simply because there's a closeness in assembly life and we're together in that sense. Now, that doesn't obviate... It no. doesn't militate against the fact that it is sinful, it is wrong to get involved with somebody out there, say in the office or whatever. But I think the context here is speaking about the brother in the assembly.
0: Yeah, I, I do think that, that that then sounds a, a note of warning in, in, in this respect. That we, we need just be on our guard, that we do not become over familiar you, you, you understand that, you know. We're, we're to express our love and concern, the one for the believer. But there seems to be a move in, in, that, in that direction, and, and I do feel that we need just to be circumspect in these things.
1: Some people are naturally touchy-feely as they speak, yeah. but my father used to tell us, "No physical contact." Yes, and I think if we keep that rule. In mind, it would obviate this kind of thing. Yeah,
2: yeah.
5: Okay. On, the, on the adultery. And, uh,
2: through, you, brother, through you, Brother David, may I ask the brethren who support the, the interpretation of the vessel as the wife is Paul forbidding celibacy? Is that what he's doing? Every man must have his own wife?
1: Sorry, that's addressed to you, Jack. I, I think that in the Word of God, we discover that Paul regards things as they would normally be. For example, here's a sister in the assembly, and she's at the Bible reading, and she doesn't understand what's being said, and she's to ask her husband at home. Now, that is the norm, she'll have a husband at home. But there are some sisters who are widows. There are some sisters who are spinsters, and they don't have a husband at home. So what Paul is dealing with is the, the general. How it is normally, you know? I judge it's the same. Uh, you know, the Lord spoke about how things are normally. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand doing. The norm is folk are right-handed. I know there are exceptions, but. Normally people are right-handed, so Scripture looks at things as they would be generally, but obviously there are exceptions to these. So I don't think he's teaching celibacy
2: here. But it begins with a singular, each one of you.
0: If you, brethren, would like to have a discussion after this <laughs> session, we, we might be able just to, uh, to move on. But uh,
5: I was going to just mention on the, the issue of adultery in verse 6. I, mean, I agree fully that that would be the main uh, case of it. I don't think it has to be uh, exclusively that. You take, for example, a young woman who's betrothed to a young man. It would apply in that case as well. Uh, the, the brother, she was due to marry. Uh, would be defrauded in that case and even the case I think in those days people the, the family unit was very strong and a woman was very much in the home and under the control of her own father um, and I would take it even a woman in her own father's home who was mistreated her father would be defrauded if his, if his daughter was dealt with in that way so I agree adultery is the main thing but I think it, 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 it does go wider than that
0: mm. When we uh, come to verse 7, you'll notice the connecting word for. So, I believe a further reason is being given for the admonitions that have been laid out in verses 3 to 6. And we are reminded that our calling is a calling unto holiness. And uh, so, the gospel, and I think we need to emphasize this when we are preaching the message the gospel is a message of deliverance from all uncleanness and God's calling is unto holiness
7: so is, that the, is that the second, the second, sorry, is that the second uh, reinforcement the first one is the government of God the Lord, verse 6 the avenger of all such and the second reason is the gospel of God it calls us to holiness and the third reason we'll come to it in a minute is the gift of God the Holy Spirit has given us so just help us with the end of verse 6 maybe just a brief word Um, the avenger of all such
0: well I, I, I was quoting uh,
7: Hebrews 13
0: well, uh, marriage is honourable in all and the bed undefiled or fornicators and adulterers God will judge did you, did, what, what, did you have something further in no, mind
7: no just there, there are certain sins certain sins that are committed and a man doesn't get away from them just mm. so easily mm.
1: I think David would be an I'm example
7: just, of, of this. Uh, he was forgiven, uh-huh. but he lived with the, the after effects. We're, we're talking about uh, David in the Old Testament, aren't yeah, we? No yes. Yeah, no, yeah. no.
0: oh, a bit confusing. No,
7: no. <laughs> but but we, we have reached a, a day now where a man can do anything, and just in a short time, a bit of—I was going to say—a bit of blurting and crying, and a bit of fussing, and he's just back to normal again. Hmm but I don't think the scriptures allow that. This type of sin leaves a man incapacitated for leadership and public service. I agree. I agree.
5: Would it include the judgment seat of Christ as well?
0: well I I mean we have to take account of the fact that that, that, that Paul is speaking about a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus and therefore by definition he must appear before the judgment seat uh, and therefore presumably the deeds done in the body will be very much negative
5: yes I'm making the point it's not you might think you're getting away with it even in this life but the Lord will take account of it all finally
6: if this brother David was an ongoing situation would you see in the revenger, disease, unhappiness, mental disorder, that sort of thing? And then I was thinking, as you were coming here to uh, the, for God hath not called us, that's a calling at conversion. That's right. So to live a life of fornication or to commit fornication is really a denial. Yes. Of conversion.
0: Yes, that's right. Yes, no, I, I agree with you. Mm. Mm-hmm. So verse eight, then he therefore that despiseth, um, I, th- I think this is quite a strong word. It's not not the I- not simply the idea of setting aside and treating as insignificant, but it could be rendered rejecteth. He therefore that rejecteth, rejecteth not man, but God. You see it's God himself who has ordered the relationships in which we find ourselves one toward another and if we are showing contempt for those relationships by doing the things that are outlined in the preceding verses then we are demonstrating Mm -hmm. our contempt for him himself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and I think it's uh, fitting and and, uh, David whether, whether it's David David Lurgan sorry uh, um, uh, is is fitting isn't it he he says who who hath given or giveth us it's the giver uh, who hath given us his holy spirit so there's this emphasis on holiness his holy spirit and then we're reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 know ye not that your body is the temple of the holy spirit
1: I think it's interesting that in King Saul's experience God says he's despised me and then he's told you've despised the commandments of the Lord so despising the commandments of the Lord is tantamount to despising the Lord Mm -hmm. so thus it is here if people despise or reject the commandment of the Lord and are guilty of this kind of behaviour it is tantamount really to rejecting, to despising God and I think it is significant that the spirit of God is described here as the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of truth not the eternal spirit, Spirit, not the spirit of glory of God but the Holy Spirit and if such a holy personage resides within we are duty bound to live holy
9: lives West as well as despising uh, as brother Jack I said the commandments of God the despising at the beginning of verse 8 would you include what Paul says at the end of verse 6 we have forewarned and testified that is Paul is saying to despise the warning and the testimony is actually to despise God therefore we ought to pay heed to ministry that is given on this subject
13: yeah indeed yes yes
0: now we've done 8 out of 18 verses and uh, we're, we're running running behind as John Riddle would say, we need to put our foot on the accelerator. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're coming into verses 9 and 10. As touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. So this word but is really introducing a contrast to the previous section where there was a need to write. There was a need to write about these physical relationships, but there was no real need to write because... Paul says ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another so God by his spirit has implanted uh, the knowledge of mutual love in the heart hearts of each believer and John I mean I suppose our minds go to the first epistle of John we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love God the brethren and in fact in that same epistle John says ye need not that any man teach you because we have the indwelling spirit and that of course links with the Holy Spirit of the previous verse Mm -hmm. right. and their love was very expansive and and Paul is really commending them indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia and uh, so uh, there was there was no partiality all the brethren and uh, there was so certainly no restriction because it says in all macedonia not only in the locality of thessalonica and yet in spite of that a christian may not rest in any measure of attainment. There's always room for improvement. So we have this repeated expression more and more. Right John.
13: There seems to be a close link between chastity and charity. Right. Yeah that's good. Uh, both are in this context. And you've been mentioning Hebrews chapter 13 as well. This yes. chapter begins let brotherly love continue. Yes. So there seems to be a, a close a close link between those two subjects yeah. in other words purity and proper uh, relationships are a token a, an evidence of a, a proper sense of love and care for my fellow believer hmm. and brother
0: it's nice to, to take us back to 1 Corinthians 13 the good authorised yeah. word of uh, charity, charity. charity. Yes. Right. It's, it's right. linking the two together yeah, thank you
1: I think that verse that John has quoted to us from Hebrews 13 we just underscore what we have here let brotherly love continue Yes. in yes, other yes. words if you don't staunch it if you don't do anything to impede it <clears throat> it will flow on because we're taught of God to love one another intuitively
7: yes.
2: a
1: believer will love his fellow believer yeah. if, if he doesn't do anything to staunch that love
8: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so, sorry it's,
8: it's, Could you give us some hints as to the practical outworking of this exhortation, which I think is, you can keep me right, 15 times in the New Testament, we're to love one another. In John 13, it's the example of the Lord Jesus. In Romans 5, it's through the Holy Spirit. And here we're taught of God. Now, um, if the Holy Spirit felt it necessary on all those occasions... In the New Testament, give the exhortation. Then it's maybe something we should spend a few minutes looking at.
0: That's very good. yes. Yeah. I was just thinking of uh, what 1 John again. My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It needs to be not just what we say, but what we what we do and how it's worked out. Yes. Uh, if you bear bear, bear a, 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 a an aside here, really. Uh, mo- most of you know that I-, I didn't have the privilege of being brought up in a Christian family and uh, I-, I was converted when I was 18 years of age and uh, I was very close to, to my dear mother uh, and yet it came to a point where she said you seem to enjoy the company of those down at the gospel hall rather than our company now when you're confronted with a statement like that it's very difficult to, to actually comment upon but, but you see you are drawn aren't you to those of like mind and kindred spirit mm-hmm. uh, and you love the company of believers and that's demonstrate a, de- a demonstration of our love now
6: I want to move on to verses 11 and 12 ah Brian would, would the loving of your brother that would preserve from the lustfulness yes, yes. before so that the person who is going to act in this lustful way doesn't act out of love for the brother, he's acting really because the only thing he loves is himself. Yeah, yeah.
0: Brotherly love and promiscuity cannot coexist.
3: Hmm. Would you say, Mr West, that there's a very close link between these verses and where you're trying to take us now? Uh, at the end of sorry, at the end of verse twelve, the, the idea really is that you're to depend on no one or be a burden to nobody. Yeah. So that the what was happening what Paul is addressing in eleven and twelve was in its own way a denial of brotherly love because it was people who were really just being passengers on the backs of others. Yes, that's good.
0: Right. Well, thank you for pushing us on there. Verses 11 and 12. Let me let me just ask uh, a question you know what what are your ambitions I suppose that's a, a, a reasonable question to ask what, what are your ambitions what are your, what are your aims well uh, th- this is really one of the answers what they should be because uh, Paul is encouraging us to the pursuit of three things he says study I've already pointed out that this really carries with it the idea of striving being ambitious to be quiet to be tranquil that's a uh, Uh, a peacefulness that arises from within because of our standing with Christ and then to do your own business to attend to your own affairs we shouldn't interfere or meddle with the affairs of others and then the third point is to work with your own hands to pursue secular employment now this is going to be cut this will come out will it not when we come to chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians and, uh, and and we know that Paul's prescription is you know if you don't work you don't eat there's no there's no now we're not we're not talking about people who who have become unemployed through no fault of themselves uh, and I do feel that we need to take account of those whose circumstances have brought them into such a position. In fact, I, I, I'm free to say this we, we, we do have a particular fund in our assembly for, for those who are unemployed. Not only in our own assembly, but if we, if we hear of somebody in another assembly who is unemployed. You know, we might send them a gift. It may may not seem to be very much, but I tell you the response that we get is is most favourable. It's it's been an encouragement just to think Mm -hmm. that people have have been thinking about you. Mm -hmm. So I just commend that to you.
1: You you were asking us what our ambition is. I think probably there's three times when this word is used in the New Testament Scriptures. Study. It's translated differently in each occasion here. It's study. Be ambitious. To be quiet. And then you were speaking about the judgment seat of Christ earlier on. Wherefore we labor. Wherefore yes. we are ambitious that whether present or absent we might be well pleasing to him. An ambition to be well pleasing to him. And then in Romans 15 the word is translated strived. Paul says we've strived to preach Christ not where he's been already. So a pioneer evangelistic spirit Paul had an ambition for that, so you know, yeah. our ambitions could be varied, and yet all at the same time spiritual and wholesome. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And the last statement, "As we commanded you," so uh, evidently this uh, this teaching was given whilst Paul was with them in in Thessalonica. Yeah. And if we look back, uh, we we realise that that Paul uh, laboured with his own hands and he did night work you know, did you know that he did night work laboring night and day we yeah, might not be chargeable to any of you now we, do, we don't want to just neglect these last verses do we uh,
10: well it's just a quick question on study to be quiet why, why should this be exhorted is it fanaticism that he's uh, preaching against here or what is the point behind this command well, to,
0: to study to be, study to be, to make it your aim to be peaceful. You mean?
10: Yes. What does that mean? Like, what, what sin? Is he is trying it? to correct?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think, I think uh, that they they could be. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether there's a link with what follows. You know, to do your own business. Were mm-hmm. they were they getting involved in other people's business, whereas they should be? Be pulling back and 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 uh, and, and, and making making it, it their ambition to be to be quiet.
5: Could you have any thought? On that? Just uh, there's an expression the world used today that people should be comfortable in their own skin. Uh, I don't think that's quite a bit, it Maybe has some of the idea. A lot of people aren't content just with who they are, the way God has made them. Uh, the work that he has given them to do everybody should be happy that we are who we are, that God has us where we are doing what he wants us to do and not have that restless spirit that we're, we're discontent, I think they made something of that in uh, it I,
0: yeah. I, I think also it is the idea of living a, a quiet peaceful life in the midst of all the rush and bustle of, uh, mm-hmm. of every dinosaur. I, I had wondered I mean,
1: if it does go with what is coming on, yeah, as you yeah. suggested. You know, there are some people who want to interfere in everybody's business. You know, like, like the neighbours of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They wanted to be in in the naming of the boy. And they're all putting in their tuppens worth, you know, in the debate. And there are mm-hmm. people like that and they, they would want to influence you and bounce you into doing things. And you No, know, you, you study to be quiet and to do your own business. Look after yourself. Don't be like Peter and looking over your shoulder and saying, what shall this man do? Yeah. You be content to look after your own affairs. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Would it
3: would be relevant, would be relevant to, and maybe in keeping with what we've just heard, that when we get into the second epistle and, and Paul turns again to this issue, that the word that he uses has connotations of being idle but it also has the idea of being unruly of being out of line so the two in a sense there are two sides of the one coin
13: Uh,
0: and in fact in verse 12 uh, Paul actually gives two reasons for that teaching that he's given in verse 11 number one that he may walk honestly decently orderly Um, so our walk is to be seen to be honourable let's remember that others are Others outside are watching us. They're watching what we do. And the second one is that we may have lack of nothing. So there there is a sense in, in which we should be quite happy to be healthily independent of others. Now, we're not doing away with the idea of of fellowship we, 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 we realize that we need to, to take account of people's needs I've already ind- indicated that but we should be healthily independent of others and I think that will come out very much in the second epistle and particularly chapter three mm-hmm.
13: <coughs> just as you come to the close of that section then there can be no sense in any of us taking this sense of a high moral ground the reason for the warnings it's just the fact that there is the possibility within any one of us to transgress in any of these matters. Yeah. Isn't that the solemn reality? Yeah,
0: yeah. Let him that thinketh he standeth. Right, let us move on to this lovely section. So, we have the prospect of the rapture here in verses 13 through to 18. So, Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant. And uh, I'm sure that many of you realize, Uh, that this is one of the six times that Paul uses uh, this expression now let let me say this brethren there is no excuse for ignorance because we have these things laid out for us in the scriptures there's no excuse for ignorance and it's concerning those that are asleep I'm sure we realise that uh, sleep refers to the body and it certainly doesn't app- doesn't uh, apply to the soul. We're not talking about soul sleep. We're talking about the sleep of the body. And uh, I think uh, it, 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 the idea is the present tense that is used here, uh, and it indicates what is ongoing. In other words, those who have fallen asleep, together with those who are falling asleep. And but please, don't, please don't misread these verses Paul is not saying that we should not sorrow there is always that element when a loved one is called home but we shouldn't be overtaken with excessive grief this is the idea that is expressed here that you sorrow not even as others that's even as the rest which have no hope unbelievers are without God having no hope but we do have a hope Mm -hmm. and then if I might link verse 14 and I've already told you what I believe on verse 14 and I know Jack agrees with me because I was helped by Jack it's nice when a brother can you put me right Jack in in, in a bible reading in air I think it must have been about 8 years ago Well, Uh remember that. Yeah, Uh, they're very helpful. You see, it's nice to help one another. And my arm—I was illuminated. (laughs) So I've already explained what I what I believe on verse fourteen. So perhaps we could come in on verses thirteen and fourteen.
1: I think the idea of sleep is that there's always an awakening out of sleep, yeah. you know, and as David has said, it's not the soul or the spirit, but it relates exclusively to the body. Uh, I go that I might awaken him out of sleep, the Lord mm. Jesus said about Lazarus. So, you know, people even go to sleep in meetings, mm-hmm. but we've never left a gospel hall leaving anybody still asleep, you know, on the bench. They always waking up and, uh, and that's the idea here. And there are those who have no hope because they don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe there will be an awakening out of sleep. You know, you think of Acts 17. Whenever Paul preached about Jesus and the resurrection, they said he's a babbler. Mm. And when he raised that again, immediately there was a chorus of derision. Some mocked. So because they did not believe in resurrection, no hope. Don't delight them, Mm. says Paul.
0: I think it, 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 it should be pointed out that. It does say in verse 14 that Jesus died. In other words, the word sleep relating to death is never used concerning Christ because he entered into death and he knew death in all of its dreadfulness and its bitterness and so the word sleep is not used in connection with Christ.
5: Just uh, in agreement with what you've said, that uh, you and Brother Jack agree with, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, the God of pre peace uh, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, it's the same uh, Idea, word yeah. that's there bringing again from the dead. Yeah,
2: thank you. Acknowledging that these Thessalonians believed in resurrection. They believed in the Lord's coming for his church. Why were they sorrowing? What's the basis of their sorrowing?
0: Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to give the answer. I, I thought you, when you paused, I thought that we were going to have a, a good explanation. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm welcome. I with it.
2: But I'm sorry you changed your mind.
11: <laughs> <laughs> <I see it. laughs> All right.
2: I think the question is this. Here's believers, they're young believers, but they believe in resurrection. Mm-hmm. They have heard of the Lord's coming. They expect him to come any day. They're anticipating the imminence of his coming. Mm-hmm. Now, why should they sorrow? Well have they got something out of line? Are they missing something? Why should they sorrow? Yeah.
0: I, I thought, uh, because uh, originally I, I thought that when it said, "Will God bring with Him?" I think I pointed this out in my introduction, that they were projecting their thoughts on to that coming day when Christ came in glory, and and therefore. Uh, that When I believed that, I thought that these saints didn't understand that, they would m- that these believers wouldn't miss out on that occasion. But I think that, that it's really preparing the way for what comes in the succeeding verses. That they, in fact, if anything, they will actually have a priority over those who are alive and remain, because the dead in Christ shall rise first. So that that would be my uh, simple answer to that question,
2: whether it's accepted, I don't know. But well, I would see the same, except for this. As the Apostle sets it before them, he gives the answer, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we take that, they did that, hmm. then... Even so, them also, which have been put to sleep through Jesus. The ones the Lord has taken himself. They, even so, them also, which sleep in Jesus, will God lead with Him when he comes back in glory. glory. That's Paul's answer. They'll all be there. But if we had Paul in the Bible reading, we'd say to him, Paul, you're missing a point. You don't see the point. Because that's our very problem. We believe the resurrection is at the end of the tribulation, but Daniel puts it. What's happened? Are these believers going to miss the glory of the setting up of the kingdom? And I believe that's a point of sorrow. Yeah. They had got scripture out of line. How would you accept that? Uh, <laughs>
0: the, the, the I, the, I, I'm going to get, perhaps somebody will ask a question in Believers' Magazine. <laughs> the the,
1: the <laughs> thing that the thing that swings it for me is of the two words, even so. Yeah. You know, Jesus died and rose again. Even so. Them also which sleep through Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, just as He was brought from the grave, even so yeah. they will be brought mm-hmm. from the grave. Uh, as I say that's so it kind of swings it for me. Uh, it's a repetition almost of 1 Corinthians 15, "Christ, the first fruits afterward they that are Christ that is coming yeah, yeah. now of course again that does not militate against the concept that they will be brought back with they them in be. glory yeah, there's be. absolutely yeah. no doubt yeah. about that yeah. they will be brought back but they'll appear with them in glory according to Colossians 3 but personally I don't think that is the teaching here in First Thessalonians 4 well
2: I think it is the teaching because the verb that's used is one that's not bringing up from the grave it's Leading in glory. So I think that's the answer to the problem. Then Paul will go on to explain. And to give the explanation, he's got to go back to the special work that the Lord gave him. Yeah. Right, well, it's good
0: to uh, air these uh, these thoughts and uh, we have to come to a uh, conclusion over it. Could I just ask... Oh, sorry, sorry the, oh, we've got 20 minutes. Yeah.
6: If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, I take it that it is that we believe the fact that Jesus died and rose again. Yeah, yeah. So we also believe the fact that them also would sleep in Jesus, or God bring with them. And the preposition that used is nowhere else clearly used. There's a reference in Second Corinthians, Corinthians 4, but you've got to be in the textual criticism to find it. There's no real uh, scripture that tells us that this preposition being used in union with resurrection. And I believe it, our brother Alan was saying. Now, having said that, what I would like you to emphasize is, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, both eras, both point tenses, he didn't go to the cross and go through a process of dying. No, no, no. He didn't swoon and go through a process of resurrection. I think you need to emphasize that.
0: Yeah, that's very clear, yes. Um, it's, it's being emphasised that uh, these, these, uh, these verbs are in the so-called aorist sense, the point tense and uh, he, he was never a dying man, he died he laid down his life and, and similarly he rose from the dead, it wasn't a gradual process. Are you going to help us on to the following verses? Uh,
3: I hope so. Um, I I was hoping you you might be able to give us some help on the the reason why we have the references, the different titles of the Lord really in these verses, but why is it that we have a reference to Jesus specifically, and also whether you could give us a a little bit more help on the sleeping in Jesus or through Jesus and how we might understand that.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, I'm wondering whether there were some of these Thessalonians who had actually Been uh, put to death through persecution and uh, rather than think of them as having been put to death by the hands of wicked men they were to be regarded as those who had been put to sleep through Jesus and I believe the personal name without any added title and I should point out that In these epistles to the Thessalonians, the full title, Lord Jesus Christ, is used on numerous occasions. But here, it's the singular name, and I think this would carry their thoughts back to the one who suffered a violent death at the hand of his enemies. Now, we've already stated that he laid down his life, but... But remember that in the first epistle and chapter two, we read of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus, so the responsibility was on them. So I do think that it would take their minds back to the one who suffered uh, a violent death, and I say at the hands of uh, the, the, the men, uh, hands of wicked men.
9: Is there a possibility that Paul? Well, he is using the. The name Jesus intelligently here, yeah, Jehovah the right, Saviour, right. and linked to chapter five, mm. that the resurrection is all part of the package of salvation that they've received at the moment of conversion.
3: Yeah, yeah, very good. I, I want, go Is there also a suggestion? A reminder there that it was a man who died yeah. and rose again.
0: Yes, yeah, so yes, it's humanity that's coming out here. Yeah.
2: yeah. Would
5: there also yes. be the thought, brother David, when I go along with all of that? That Um, He's pointing out that because he entered into the full horrors of death, through that death for us now is only sleep. Mm -hmm. So he has changed what would have been the full horror of death into sleep. We've benefited in that way from his death. And because he rules again will benefit from his resurrection.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that at this point in the chapter, I do believe that Paul is referring to the resurrection of sleeping saints rather than referring to the rapture. So, that, that, uh, yeah. so when it says bring with him, it's the idea of bringing people in association with him, not literally with him right let's come to verse 15 because we've only got, only got a quarter of an hour now to deal with four, four verses right this we say unto you by the word of the Lord so we do appreciate that this was a specific revelation that was given to Paul in relation to the dead in the, uh, the dead in Christ if you like or those believers at Thessalonica uh, in relation to his coming those that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. He's not referring necessarily to those who are living then, but to those who will be on earth when the Lord returns, when the Lord descends. Mm -hmm. Shall not prevent, shall uh, not precede, shall in no wise obtain any advantage over them which are asleep. And then we have this lovely statement For the Lord himself. Now uh, we've already alluded in our opening comments to John chapter 14 as well as to 1 Corinthians 15. But if you go back to John chapter 14 you, you will see that the Lord describes his coming from his standpoint. Whereas here in 1 Thessalonians 4 he's describing his coming from our standpoint. So the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. With a shout. So we always say. Yes he will come personally. The Lord himself. When he comes in glory. He will come processionally. But he comes personally. He will not come processionally. That, that refers to his second advent. And uh, we have this shout. Which is an assembling shout. And uh, it says with the voice of the archangel or with archangelic voice Um, I I do believe that uh, the Lord's shout will have the character of the voice of the archangel it's really linked with that statement shout and then of course we have reference to the trump that's not the trumpets of uh, revelation but it's the trump of God that is referred to in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 Mm -hmm is there any difference between those who sleep in Jesus and the dead in Christ I think I've got a right just to ask a question and David is
5: going to answer do you mean a difference in meaning or a difference in the group of people that are being referred to
0: I think perhaps the latter
5: I would take it as being the same group in both cases. Right. Now, what why I thought was
0: I I'm sure we appreciate that that believers in this present age believers who form part of the church which is body we are viewed as being in Christ and and that is that is a distinct description of believers in this present dispensation we speak about present dispensation so we're in Christ so the dead in Christ it refers to all believers of this present age from Pentecost to the rapture who have died the dead in Christ I had wondered I had wondered whether those who had been put to sleep through Jesus were those who had actually suffered persecution to the extent of death at the hands of those who set themselves against him but any idea, Jan? No, uh, that's
1: new to me, to be honest. New
0: to me. That's oh, I don't I want to introduce any no, new doctrine here. Heard no, I never before. I'd
1: always, like David, I'd always thought that the two yeah. uh, were referring to the that's same
0: That's all right. I, I was asking a question. So yeah. if, if somebody asked a question for Believers Magazine, I'll know how to answer <laughs> it.
2: Brother West, I didn't hear the last of the statement you made there, but am I right in gathering you b- say, believe, that the dead in Christ are the dead of this dispensation yes well then is that not where the confusion arose because these believers were going back to the Old Testament saying there's no resurrection before the end of the tribulation but our Lord is coming that's where the confusion the the conflict really arose there Mm.
0: Uh, you're saying you agree with my statement then
2: Uh, which one
0: (laughs) (laughs) The dead in Christ uh, uh, applies to believers of this Christ. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah right. I'm 100% I, I, behind that. I think that um, they that are Christ that is coming would refer to a wider group of persons.
2: Well, it's Every covered, man in, it's in various ranks.
0: Yes, rank, yes
2: there, yes. there are various ranks at that stage. Yes, yes. But these are only believers of this dispensation. Yes. Now, these young believers looked at the Bible <laughs> and saw a resurrection. At the end of the tribulation, Daniel 12 and 1, is that not where the confusion come in and the sorrow? Well, Surely our our, our loved ones will miss the great glory of the kingdom. That's where the trouble arose in the conflict between these two resurrections.
0: Yeah, well... uh... I do have to say that that is the way I originally thought, and so I can perfectly understand what you're saying. You know, I do follow the line of argument there. Um, I think sorry, I was
1: going to say I think it's <coughs> crucial to see the way that Paul introduced this. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Now you yeah. stressed already, David, this was by divine revelation. Yeah. Now, it's so important that that is emphasized here because there's nothing resembling this in the Old Testament. No, no, no We have two no. big chapters from the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24, 25 about prophetic issues. Nothing resembling this features in these two chapters. So, Paul is saying this might be novel. You're hearing it for the first time, but I want to assure you, it's not a figment of my imagination. I'm saying this to you by the word of the Lord. It was a divine revelation. Yeah.
0: I, I think we need to say that uh, in uh, many evangelical circles there is much confusion about and I'm using the general expression, the coming of the Lord and uh, there, there, there is a confusion people do not distinguish between his coming to the air and his coming in glory they do not see that Israel has a future and uh there's there's a lot of so-called replacement theology that is being taught today and I fear lest some young believers are misled particularly taking things from the internet on this particular line we need to be absolutely clear I I hope you don't get me wrong but I'm so thankful for J.N. Darby for the fact that uh, you know he certainly did firmly establish what we call dispensational truth and if you do not appreciate dispensational truth you'll be all awry as far as these issues are concerned
2: just a few things in my mind the word rapture is not mentioned in our bible
0: no
2: no I think for the young believers here today could we go a bit further and explain a bit more about the rapture yeah, that's because right. I think it is important we, we are, are old have accepted but young people may not have been taught, been
1: taught it.
0: Yeah. Uh, for example uh, in the end of Acts chapter 8 after Philip the evangelist has uh, witnessed to the Ethiopian and the Ethiopian has been baptised it says that Philip was caught away and uh, he was found at a Zotus and that word caught away is the same idea as expressed here. And so the idea of snatching away, it's used, is it not, in, in Matthew chapter 13, regarding the seed being snatched away by the birds of the air. So although the word rapture is not specifically used here, it is, it is the idea of snatching, isn't, isn't the Latin word rapio? I think that's rapto. But you, you did at level Latin
1: didn't you I did yes, yes That's ah, good. Ah, <laughs> yeah, that's I, uh, don't tell everybody <laughs> uh, it's this caught up it's the rapture concept isn't it yeah, caught up yeah, yeah. to be snatched away suddenly <coughs> by force David has given us some of the usages of the word there's another one in John 10 no man that's is right. able to pluck him <laughs> pluck that, out yes. of my hand so it's the idea of plucking so when we speak about the rapture we're not speaking so much about the Lord coming down we're actually speaking about the saints being caught up, but for convenience we tend to call the whole event the rapture.
0: rapture, So it says then in verse 17, we which are alive... Sorry.
3: Just on the, the, the nature of the rapture and so on, it's interesting, isn't it, that in a sense the apostle gives us a redundant detail here. He says the Lord will come down from heaven and we'll be caught up, and if he's come down from heaven and we're going to be caught up, then the only place we could meet is in the air yes. but he adds that and I think that's significant that he's reminding us of the, the location in which this meeting will take place when the Lord comes in glory he will come to the earth yes. but here he's coming to the air
0: yes so we're speaking here about the atmospheric heavens yes Yes.
4: Mm-hmm. voice of Archangel um, when God buried Moses he placed <coughs> that precious dust Seemingly in the custody of none less than Michael the Archangel. Some might find comfort in the departing, part, departed loved ones. That precious dust laid on the earth may be in the custody of angelic ministry. But really, what I wanted to ask personally, I believe when, we're raised, when their bodies are raised, they'll not be a blade of grass disturbed. Uh, all these films, horror films, really, of have left behind horror stories frightening children into false profession. Do you go along with this idea of all the chaos? You I think God will be able to take care of it all and the devil will give them something to believe and really when we go, this world will be glad to see the end of us. Hmm.
0: Well, uh, I mean, I... I... I think there must be, there, there will be some reaction uh, to the fact that, that suddenly, you know, those with whom people have been working and studying are, are, are suddenly taken. You know, I mean, I mean there, there must be some reaction to that. But I do, I do take it that uh, Peter, just been reading at home uh, in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles, you know, they were, they were released from prison and 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 they were released without any seeming disturbance. Uh, the the uh, even the the keepers of the prison didn't realise that they'd gone, and they were surprised when they opened the doors of the prison that it was empty. You know, and the same is true, is it not, of Acts chapter twelve when Peter was delivered from from prison. So. Um, I think think there will be a realisation and we do do believe that that with the opening of the first seal of Revelation chapter 6 you know when when that takes place it might not be specifically told but nevertheless there will be tremendous things that take place then now when it says uh, in the clouds the clouds plural are these uh, are these physical clouds? Uh, what, what I'm saying is that in Acts chapter one, we're told that a cloud received him out of their sight. and, and I believe that that's what we call the Shekinah cloud of God's glory. I believe that was that was a glory. I do not personally think see at the moment, Unless Jack corrects me and then I have to change my view. I do not see at the moment that these are clouds of glory.
1: No, I personally would agree with that, I think these are the clouds because of the link with the air yeah,
4: that's right, you know, yes.
1: so I would judge that it's not a little cloud from Lurgan and a little cloud from Belfast and it's not the same concept as clouds of witnesses I no, no, think. No, no, it's a different no, no, word in actual fact but I would think that he's speaking about the literal clouds yeah, here. Because so we don't sing anymore the cloudless day is nearing
0: <laughs> no, because no, no. we're
1: going to be caught up in the clouds well, well, we allow it for poetic license, but to come back to the point you were speaking about earlier, that people will obviously notice yeah. that we're missing, even although there might be no disruption and chaos as Alan has suggested. People will notice. Illustrated in Enoch again, yeah. he was not found, yeah, and the suggestion is that people looked for him, yeah. but he was not found. So they'll be wondering why you didn't turn up at the office or the factory that you won't be bound because God will take
0: you so we're speaking about uh, uh, the very domain of Satan Mm -hmm. the prince of the power of the air and it will be clearly demonstrated that uh, he is the victor Christ is the victor it will be in the very domain of of the
10: enemy is there not a lot of noise going on here though there's a shout a voice of an archangel trump of God if this is a, just a silent snatching away, why is there such an emphasis here on this noise? Or is, is it only the believers that are going to hear?
0: I feel that uh, this, this shout is, is a shout that the, the believers will, will hear personally. And uh, what we know, of course, that uh, if we go back to those silver trumpets of, of Numbers uh, chapter 10, uh, they were blown for at least four reasons. Uh, number one they were blown to gather the people together they were blown to initiate movement they were blown to signal a victory and they were blown at times of rejoicing that's just uh, an illustration and all of these would apply to this occasion when we have the trump of God well we've got about half a minute to encourage our hearts the last verse sorry David
7: No, I was just going to ask you I probably missed it what is the word of the Lord here what is the revelation that the apostle is giving here
0: I thought it was the relationship of the dead in Christ to the coming of the Lord
7: so it's not the rapture they already knew about the rapture
0: they knew about the coming of the Lord, didn't they, to wait for His Son from heaven? Uh-huh. If, but they, would they have known specifically about what we term the rapture?
1: I personally think they would have. But what I think you're seeing here is this, the mechanics. you want to call it the mechanics of the event. Have yeah. never been explained to you.
7: So, through the conjunction of the resurrection of the dead with the rapture had never been explained before. Is that it?
13: I think that is,
1: They seem to be in the dark in particular about <coughs> those who'd fallen asleep in mm. Jesus. You know, those... Uh, that was their big problem, and Paul caters for that, and it's by the word of the Lord. Right, okay. Uh, did you... Something else?
0: No, no that's, all, no.
7: That's, no, that's all right. Just yes, that's all right. Good.
0: <coughs> right, well, we need just...
7: Right.
13: Mr. No, uh, we David, just, David, uh, David David we, we just read here about the dead in Christ and we which are alive and remain is there any other group involved at that moment in other words what I'm asking for the benefit of all the company who rises at that great occasion when he comes in the rapture
0: I, I think that it is uh, the saints of this present dispensation uh, at this particular time just Every as, man in his own yeah. order. We come to 1 Corinthians yeah. 15. Uh, just,
13: just, I'm sure the audience is looking for some consensus on. I know it's a difficult question, but or if anyone else could give help as well. But we'd love to know who will rise at this point. What about Old Testament sins?
0: I wouldn't be dogmatic on on this particular point.
5: Did you want to come in there? I agree with you. Yeah.
11: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do I you mean you wouldn't
7: be I hope not but I think I agree with you in the Old Testament saints also. so can I ask just just a, 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 another question to meet the Lord in the air for a meeting uh, what would you do with those who say that this word meeting is a technical word that described a welcome party going out of a city to meet a dignitary outside the city when they meet him? They turn and come back to the city And they say that's the meaning of it There was a welcome party went out to meet Paul From Rome When they met Paul They turned round and came back to Rome They didn't go back to Paul's place They came back to their place So how would you Answer those who say that We will meet the Lord Saints will meet the Lord And immediately turn and come back to earth
0: But you don't believe that.
7: No, but I don't. I certainly don't. (laughs) I do not. But thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of authors and books do believe that. And the technical meaning of apentesis is what they base that on. Go out, but then you don't go to his place. You go out and turn and come back. Hmm
1: would the term forever be with the Lord yes. kind of obviate mm-hmm. that or does it suggest that the Lord comes back and also, with them
0: and also John 14 John of course John 14 yeah, yeah. Sure. but so I, th- I think it's, it's, it's very wise uh, David to, to alert people to this sort of thing that's being propagated uh,
7: today that's it. so most, most authors teach us post tribulation mm-hmm. so after the tribulation the Lord comes and So we just go up turn around and come back down again So the rapture happens after the tribulation. You just come back down. And they base it on this technical meaning of of the word. But I think that's pushing the technical meaning far, far too far. If you take take a, a marriage metaphor the bridegroom came from his house and the prospective bride met him and then went back to his house. So instead of the metaphor being an official meeting of a dignitary the metaphor is rather a bridal scene or a marriage marriage metaphor doesn't it show
5: the danger too in using earthly things as an illustration of spiritual truths we have to get what scripture teaches first and then illustrations can be helpful
2: after that
0: right so we've seen that the chapter begins with, uh, with exhortation and it ends with encouragement now we need not just to get the technical side of things and to understand uh, all all the tenses and things like this. We we need to grasp hold of this wonderful fact and therefore to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Thank you very much for your help, brethren. And uh, I've enjoyed the reading. I trust in measure you have. And so, our God and Father, we come to Thee at the end of this particular session. We, we do thank Thee for Thy precious Word. We thank Thee for our Lord Jesus. We bless Thee for the prospect of His imminent return. And we thank Thee for those wonderful words, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We thank Thee then for all of the contributions that have been made. We trust that they've been uplifting and edifying and that we might all go away from this particular session having been encouraged. And so we thank thee for our continuing fellowship together, and for the food that has been provided. We seek thy rich blessing, giving thanks, and looking to thee for further help today, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
4: 717, it'll maybe help us in our last problem. A little while our Lord shall come, and we shall wander here no more. He'll take us to our Father's home, where He for us has gone before, to dwell with Him, to see His face, and sing the glories of His grace. 717 A little
11: while our Lord shall come.